0: Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Ole Miss, every single day. Hello, I'm Stephen Willis with the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. In this extra edition, I'm joined by Michael Borke from the Rebel Report, from Super Talk, in my mission to have anybody that is anybody associated with Ole Miss football on this show I had to get Michael on, on board as well. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing well. It's a good mission, uh, by the way. I'm not going to ask where I was in the totem pole. I don't want to know. So I, I just appreciate the invite, and we're just going to keep it at that. I, I don't want to know where I fell, but no, I'm kidding. I, I appreciate it, man. Always, always glad to do it.
0: Yeah, the ranking is um, Elon Manning 1, Lane Kiffin 2, and then everybody else.
1: Well, let me tell you about the the Lane Kiffin piece. Good luck. <laughs> good,
0: good luck. So, um. You are in a similar situation than me. We might present it a little bit differently, and that's perfectly okay, because we're all about perspectives on this channel. Uh, but you are located in central Mississippi. I'm located in central Florida, so you're I'm further away than you are by a significant amount. But you do have the resource of Richard Cross, and... From my time at Ole Miss, whenever I worked in the Manning Center, there was many of the road trips of like Richard Cross and David Kellum and all them sitting on buses, and their stories they tell, the things they know. There's just a, it's honestly a surprising amount how much they know.
1: Yeah, the the depth of knowledge, especially me not being from here. So so I live uh, in the Jackson area. I have for. Gosh, September 4th will start year nine. Uh, graduated in 14, took a job with Super Talk uh, in sales at first. A few months later, they realized he can't sell, and we've got a, a spot on air that needs to be filled. And he went to J school, so they put me on air, and I've, I've been doing that ever since. But uh, the, the history side of it especially is something that I needed help on, still need help on. I just you – know, I wasn't here uh, in Mississippi at all when Eli Manning played at Ole Miss, and that – I think is to my detriment at times. I, I'm I'm not familiar. Um, you know, at, I went to the Sugar Bowl, the the Hugh Free Sugar Bowl, not the the Baylor Sugar Bowl, and we stayed at, at a house that was a split four plan uh, right there on on uh, St. Charles there in, in Uptown New Orleans, and right underneath us was Wesley Walls and, and his like, his party that he brought with him. And somebody said, "Hey, Borky, that's Wesley Walls," and I said, "Who?" Like that that kind of stuff is is where where I need help is the historical component of Old Miss. The the modern stuff, I, I get. You know, the games happen and the players happen, so I I see that and I know who they are, but it's that context. It's it, We did a, uh, on the radio show, we did uh, a best players list since 1992. It's like, well, first of all, I was born in 92, so I can't really help you for the first few years, but I just don't remember th- what it was like to watch even Deuce McAllister play. I knew who he was. Growing up, but not in the same context that Ole Miss people know who Deuce McAllister was. Uh, growing up, so so leaning on guys like that uh, is is vital for me because I just I don't have that historical context uh, to uh, to old Miss sports like they do.
0: Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive because one of one of my strengths, and um, I'm honestly not afraid to brag about this, is my historical knowledge about it. I, I bring up stuff all the time, like. Um, trying to get older Ole Miss football players on the show. Like I had John Avery on the show. I've had Todd Wade on the show, people like that. And people seem to enjoy that. But honestly, that was my wheelhouse because I was born in 76. Mm-hmm. So that would have been about the time that I was in college and those like those um, golden era years of my youth. Yeah. And so that era is like I rank it higher than others might rank it just because it meant so much to me.
1: Yeah and you know what's interesting is that that golden era that you mentioned that there is an an opportunity here uh to have another one of those golden eras now that that's a big statement right and you know they they did i say only but they won eight games last year so it wasn't like that was a season that that you write home about and that you'll remember forever especially with what happened in November but uh, there's a chance right now that uh, you look back on what's happening here, if Lane Kiffin sticks around a, a little bit longer and, and have similar fond memories of the excitement surrounding Ole Miss football, where an eight-win season is like, God, man, they really let a couple go.
0: Yeah, it did. I, um, And I look at it, and I don't want to relitigate what happened, but after, let's say, the Arkansas and the State game, the last two games mm-hmm. of the year, I almost look at that as almost sabotage. And whenever you have a team that was so transfer-centric that Ole Miss was and had such a fragile psyche, whenever something almost self-inflicted happened with the way that went down, almost the Arkansas situation, the state situation was predictable. Um, But I look at it like this. The Alabama game, if Zach Evans does not get injured, Ole Miss beats Alabama.
1: Even if he exactly. just holds onto the football, even if yeah. he doesn't get it, even if they knock, if he still can't play the rest of the game, if somehow the elbow hits the ground before the ball comes out and Alabama doesn't score a touchdown there, it changes the dynamic of that game. And they still had a throw to the end zone as basically time was expiring to to win that game. And and God knows what the the season outlook and how everything changes. If that just that fumble doesn't happen, let alone him not getting knocked out of the game.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I think people look at it like in the camp situation that's going on at Ole Miss right now. They brought in Jam Griffin, the transfer from Oregon State. And, and everybody's like, well, why did they do that? Did they not have confidence in Ulysses Bentley or Kedrick Riscano? or even um, Quinshawn Judd. No, it's that Alabama game. Whenever Ulysses Bentley was injured and Zach Evans got hurt, and all of a sudden Quinshawn had to take care of everything, and that last drive, when we needed him most, he was unable to do the things that he could do. And that is the reason Jam Griffin is an oxford.
1: Oh, that was – especially when you can get it – in today's college football, this is just what it is. It's not like they had to break the bank to go get him either. I mean, it was – it was a late addition that I assume did not cost very much. And now you have a running back room with three guys that have a ton of experience and then a freshman that apparently everybody loves. It's uh, no, you needed to to do that. Running back was something that we talked about in the offseason that they needed to add. And we got the same pushback that I assume you did is, well, why? They've got Judkins. Bentley's healthy now. That position is is so, I mean, that. that's why you're seeing this deal in the NFL right now where where no running backs are getting the contracts they think they deserve. Well, because you, you guys get hurt so much, and it, it's such a position of, is volatility the right word? Either way, you're exactly right. When when you lose Evans and Bentley's not there, and the coach after the Alabama game says, I literally could not get my best player the ball because physically he couldn't carry the football anymore. That's a problem, and, and they had to address it, and they did. And to get a guy with that experience that late, anything you get from him is a bonus, especially in games like Mercer and in Tulane, and they've got Louisiana Monroe later. And knock on wood, I think Vanderbilt's going to be better. But in games like Vanderbilt, where if you have a comfortable lead, you don't have to just keep giving the ball to Quinchon because he's the only one there. It's you can keep tread on his tires and protect him a little bit. And it was a no-brainer decision, and and a. a wild pickup that late for somebody that experienced to join your team like that.
0: Yeah. And you, you look at it, we're going to talk about quarterbacks in just a second, but I think we need to get on like last year, there was a problem with snaps. This it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, a surprise to anybody. Everybody knows what was going on, but what they don't know is that basically eliminated the ability to run the jet sweep from Ole Miss's offense. And you could not do that. And the, Michael Trigg At least not was with not, confidence anyway. Yes. Yeah. And Michael Trigg was not um, what we expected Michael Trigg to be last year. So there was a little bit of a hole at tight end as well. So my point is, Michael, that this offense, when it's running at full capacity, is designed to torture linebackers. And the jet sweep forces them to move laterally and worried about trying to get to the outside and worried that, they won't, that they're going to get beat outside. They can't concentrate on the running backs and run up forward because the tight ends or the slot receivers could slip into that area behind them. And so they don't really know what's going to happen. And since this is an RPO offense, a lot of the plays are dictated off of what they do and how they react to that situation. And whenever those instances are removed from the offense, you have what happened against Mississippi State, what, what happened against Texas Tech, where State had like 15 tackles for loss that game where Texas Tech just lived in the backfield and we couldn't get a fourth and six inches with a 225-pound all-world running back that had Herschel Walker-level freshman numbers. This offense is going to be better this year because if you look at the tight end room, Caden Priestcorn is apparently the dude. Everybody's talking about him like we can expect big things to the point where Michael Trigg is almost turned into a lottery ticket. Kyron Heave has t- taken a step. Hudson Wolf is on the field, which Ole Miss fans should be very excited about that. And the slot receiver, you have a chance with the emergence of Aiden Williams that Zakari Franklin might move inside. And what he could do in the middle of the field, because he was a slant monster last year, this offense has a chance to look completely different than it did a year ago.
1: And don't forget about Jordan Watkins either, but, but the mm-hmm. tight end... The, the tight end is so vital. I mean, in the red zone a year ago, they were horrible. I think a lot of that has to do with a, an unreliable tight end. I mean, Casey Kelly gave it his all. Uh, he was playing injured uh, when he did play. But it, your option at tight end last year, because of Michael Trigg's injury and and, and other issues, uh, was a former walk-on who was injured. And then after he couldn't play, your only option was moving your second-round draft pick wide receiver to tight end because you've got to have a body there. And so I think back to 2020, Kenny Uboa. Th- this is going to sound disrespectful. I-, I don't mean it to be, was not a great tight end. He it- wasn't great. He was good. It- it- he he did nice things. He He's still in-, in Jets camp. So clearly the next level thinks that there's ability there. But th- there was nothing special about Kenny Uboa in terms of his ability, his talent, especially blocking was a huge issue. And look at what that did for the offense. Having good at tight end above average at tight end unlocks so many things and created so many mismatches where Pete Golding and Alabama were in serious trouble there in 2020 for a long time, because they couldn't figure out Lane Kiffin's use of the tight end. And so now when you've got here the same things and everybody's reporting the same thing about pre-score and that a very well-rounded tight end as well, physical, willing blocker, but also athletic enough and good hands. And then the the leadership component as well can't be overlooked in the depth in that room. Now will unlock you hope short yardage, but especially red zone dynamics in that offense. Charlie Weiss caught a lot of crap last year for red zone issues. Um, And I understand because they were bad there. I think personnel dictated some of that and being better at tight end, creating those mismatches that you mentioned really could change things in terms of their ability
0: Locked On College Basketball Podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and you look at it, um, we have is so many tight ends now, Earl Miss has so many tight ends now, that 12 personnel has become an option for them. And you're hearing stories of them using multiple tight ends and sets. So you might see a situation to where Caden Priestcorn is the inline tight end and then somebody like Kyron Heath or Hudson Wolf is out in the slot, that not only helps your running game, that's going to be make you a threat in the red zone. It's a lot of stuff that everybody likes to make fun of um, Matt Luke and Rich Rod whenever they were here in 2019. It's a lot of the stuff that they were trying to do is going to be available to Ole Miss this year.
1: Yeah, and in- – if Matt Luke and Richrod we're doing it with the wrong quarterback, but that, that's you know a conversation maybe for another day. But yeah, the 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 dynamics of it—that's one thing I'm not concerned about. That, you know, there are questions about Old Miss's offense, and there are questions about basically every offense in the SEC. What offense doesn't have questions in the SEC? You go down the list of all 14 teams, and I, I promise you, you're gonna find questions for for each of them. Um, but yeah, the the dynamic capability of this offense can't be overstated. The, the ability at every position is there. Now, there's there's some proven at wide receiver. Uh, apparently, they love Trey Harris. And because of the shiny new toy, Nathan Williams, people are kind of forgetting about the the transfer from Louisiana Tech that they brought in that has serious NFL potential as well. Um, yeah, at, at every spot paired with, with the scheme and the offensive brilliance of Lane Kiffin, um, I, I wouldn't expect anything other than a, a wildly dynamic offense.
0: All right, so what should we make about this quarterback situation right now?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Probably nothing. Um, No, I I think truthfully that Lane Kiffin just loves competition. He loves what it does. Uh, I think Jackson Dart has completely and totally taken control of the football team, and the entire team knows that. Um, There's only a few options, right? It's either A, Lane Kiffin is playing games with us, which is totally possible, B, he doesn't feel like engaging in that at all, which, again, is is totally possible, or he likes what competition has done uh, for Jackson Dart, or or maybe he's also trying to keep Spencer Sanders around. Uh, Because there's been a lot of discourse about what or why you bring in Spencer Sanders. And, you know, there are some people that think, well, they brought him in just to improve Dart. I don't I actually don't buy that. I think they brought him in because they wanted to see if he was good enough to start and beat out Jackson Dart. I like Jackson Dart a lot. Uh, I, I like his upside. His ceiling is really high to me. But if you get the identical player that you got a year ago, that's not good enough uh, for what you have uh, elsewhere on your team and, and for Lane Kiffin's expectations. So I do think they brought in Spencer Sanders to do more than just push Dart, and with the way they use quarterbacks in the run game, and and Dart is certainly capable in that, I I wouldn't be surprised. And you don't want this to happen, but Matt Corral was injured and played through it because he's tough as hell. Jackson Dart played injured last year, and he played through it because he's tough as hell. But if you want to use your quarterbacks in a run game, you've got to also be prepared to lose that quarterback for any amount of time. And so maybe Kiffin's doing this to try to make sure that Spencer Sanders doesn't look at Iowa State and think, you know, the season's two weeks away, but I could jump in the portal and get over there and start. They need a starter now. The guy that was supposed to start is caught in a gambling scandal, or it could be all of the above. I don't know. What I do feel like I, I can confidently say is Jackson darts the quarterback for Old Miss football this year, barring injury or unexpectedly terrible play.
0: What Ole Miss fans want to happen is they want Jackson Dart to have an unbelievable big year and honestly go pro not because they want him gone. They just want him to have that type of a year because if that happens, that means the 2023 season for Ole Miss was unbelievably special. But my question is, do Ole Miss fans actually realize how massive a quarterback competition is lining up between Austin Simmons and Walker Howard?
1: That and you know what's so interesting about that. And as a coach, you can't just hand quarterbacks jobs. But Walker Howard transferred to Ole Miss with the anticipation of being the guy in 2024. At least I think he did. And and so and you know Lane Kiffin is going to love every second of that. If, If Jackson Dart moves on to the NFL, that he loves he loves quarterback competition. That is something that we will talk about every week from the day Jackson Dart declares. Until the day of the season opener next year, which yeah, I don't have the schedule up. I, I wish I did. I don't know who they open with next season, but up until that day, it's going to be talked about every. Say, I, I'm excited at the prospect of, of having something like that, and the that the dynamic that that will create, because in this era of football as well, you've got to kind of drag out competitions as best you can. Let's pretend for a second that Walker Howard is very clearly, very clearly the guy through spraying like he's performing better, but you don't want to tell anybody that because then you'll lose the other guy to the portal quickly. And he still should be in high school. And so you don't want to see him go before you have a chance to develop. Him. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Future tripping on this, I guess. But yeah, if you think right now is interesting with the dynamic between Dart and Sanders, it's a little bit different when there's not an incumbent starter that, mm-hmm. that has taken that leadership role. When it's two guys that have been in the program but have not been in this position yet, that's going to be fun if it happens that way.
0: Do you remember what it was like when um, Chad Kelly became quarterback and how it, that was presented to us? Not what it was, how it was presented. Yeah. I think I, it'll I be a, that on steroids.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I remember how that was presented. It, it's funny because it, Hugh Freeze, to his credit, Mostly kept that charade up, but uh, I I talked to somebody that was on the team at the time and they knew after practice number one, after Chad Kelly joined the team and he went through one practice, it was like, yeah, that's our guy. Like he, he's, he's the quarterback, like the clearly the best one of the group. And, you know, freeze kept the competition up and kept it up and kept it up. And publicly, that's what it sounded like. But apparently the team again, like on the guy told me it was like the first throw where I was like, oh, okay, he's, yeah, that's that's the guy over there. And they but, knew that from the very first
0: practice. I think they played like UT Martin in the first game. And they put 70 on him. But the yeah. first pass, and I think they did this on purpose, was like a 20-yard out route that Chad, Chad Kelly just threw on a line. It's like, okay, that's the dude. All right.
1: <laughs> and then what, they beat Fresno, what was it, Fresno State a week later and hung 70 on them too or something yeah. like that?
0: It, it, it's ridiculous. It, it just something really was. Like yeah, yeah. And, and that was the year. For, I don't I don't want to bring it up, but fourth and 25. I mean, I, I, don't, I'll, I don't know if I'll ever completely get over that.
1: Just a shocking way to lose not only a football game, but an SEC championship, because they were going to beat Florida in the SEC championship had they gone. Absolutely, 100%. They would have beaten Florida to the ground, absent Will Greer and his PEDs. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. That. Yeah. All right. So... I own my podcast on my show, and I, I like I said, I'm a historian of Ole Miss football. And in my lifetime, this is the most talented football roster that is Ole Miss has ever presented. It's not even close. There's not a time in history that anybody can talk about under the age of 70 that remembers a quarterback room that was this stacked with an AP All-American, All-American, All American, first team All American, all conference wide receivers, NFL top 10 rated tight ends, and Everybody on the offensive line essentially coming back. What is your opinion on this roster depth?
1: Offensively, I, I'm with you there. What I'm curious about and kind of, I, I don't know if cautioning people's is the, the right word, but I think on the other side of the ball, I expect Pete Golding to do great things at Ole Miss. I think the way Alabama fans talk about him is grossly uh misinformed and and frankly unfair but it doesn't matter you know he's making a couple million bucks still coaching the sec so fairness doesn't matter to Pete Golding but the game has changed so much from when Kirby Smart was there to to when Pete Golding was there and they're comparing the two like they are apples to apples and it's a mistake Pete Golding is is going to do great things at Ole Miss uh he's going to coach good defenses and he's going to recruit great players and you are seeing at least that second part already and that's going to continue I am wondering, though, how quickly you're going to see it all come together. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see a scenario like what you saw in 2021, where defensively they're, they're, they're kind of bad early. There's a lot of new faces, you know, talented ones, and one side benefit for the players that Ole Miss signed in the portal, there's a lot of volatility with the roster. There's a lot of turnover, but the guys that they're going to depend on have played a lot of football, and I think that's important. When you look at Stefan Wynn, what is this, his sixth year of, or, or seventh year of recording stats in a college football season? I think it's, what's it, four at Alabama, one at Nebraska. So this will be his sixth season recording stats in a college, in a Division one college football season. Uh, so he's a veteran guy. Uku's a veteran guy. Uh, Monty Montgomery's a, a veteran guy. All these guys that they're going to depend on on defense at least have played a lot of football. But they are all new. And the scheme is a lot more complex than the one that they were previously running. So I wouldn't be surprised if early on there's some growing pains there defensively that where in week four they look a lot different than they do in week 13 when they're in Starkville. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it, if it goes down like that. So talent is there. On paper, they got so much better d- defensively. But there might be a little bit of, of growing pains associated with the new system, a more complex one. With new faces, that it might take a few weeks for them to kind of put it all together and figure it out. It also could happen right away, because again, I am extremely high on Pete Golding. I, I, I the, the criticism of him is going to be proven uh, completely. Is ignorant the right word? In I think short laughable, order. laughable, La- would probably yeah. That that will that will change quickly, but it may not be snap your fingers happening right away.
0: The way I described it on my show is the defense could be clunky this year. I expect the defense to be good in certain areas. It might be red zone. It might be in turnovers. It might be getting after the quarterback. Because this year, the defense's role will be to get possessions for the offense. That is the number one goal. It's not about being a top 10 defense or even a top 30 defense, although I think that is kind of the area that they could get to. Uh, but I think clunky is the word that I use to describe what this defense could be in year one, as they're getting everything together and recruiting to fit this system. um, Indeed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the the difference in complexity, maybe, or or how multiple they're going to be able to be when everything is figured out is, is going to be special, honestly. Um, And, what I love to do, since I don't get to go to practices, so I have to depend on what the coaches and the players say. I have to depend on what is, what is written and covered. And then I do, you know, I've got sources, air quotes, that, that I talk to that people that are around the team and stuff. I try my best to cultivate as much information on, on my own, but I have to depend on other people. What I love to do, though, is listen to players. I think players, a lot of people kind of dismiss, oh, well, the player interviews are boring or they don't say anything, but, but sometimes they do. And listening to guys like Monty Montgomery, who again has played a ton of football, he is a veteran. He's first time Ole Miss player, but he is a veteran college football player. And hearing him describe the, the coaching of Pete Golding paired with what they're doing fascinates me because it's it's complex. They're, they're having to do a lot of teaching. It people have described him as like a professor, as opposed to like a football coach that's just cuss and scream and yell, and hey. You made a mistake. Go run right now. You're an idiot. That kind of – he's not that guy. So listening to guys like Montgomery describe how complex the system is in a good way tells me that they're they're happy doing what they're doing, but also back to what we said before, it might not be perfect right away because of – I mean, they're going to – if the personnel is right, you're going to see – Three-man fronts, four-man fronts. You're going to see four-two-fives. You're going to see three-three. You're going to see it all. That's what he is. He's a he's a chameleon in terms of using personnel and uh, scheming against an opponent. Just because Tennessee scored a lot of points on Alabama last year doesn't mean that 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 is not true at all. So I think the players tell you a lot when you're wanting to learn about Pete Golding. is, is listen to the defensive guys.
0: Yeah. And um, real quick before I let you go, um, Lane Kiffin is unbelievably relaxed this fall camp. And when it comes to head coaches in fall camp, if they are not confident in their team, they usually just beat them down. I mean, th- that's ge- that's generally their go to on that one. But Lane Kiffin is just is relaxed. He sit back. I mean, there's stuff that he doesn't want to talk about, but that has to mean something. Right.
1: I I am, Stephen, I'm struggling so much with what what I want to make of his clear, comfortable confidence in this football team. Because, as you know, coaches lie, all of them. They embellish. Lane Kiffin doesn't. I mean, he really doesn't. It's last year, this time last year, he was concerned about a lot of things. and And he said often the things that he was concerned about. I listen to. I have to listen to all of his press conferences. I can't tell you the last thing that I've heard him express concern over. And and I don't know what to make of that. It, does he love his team, or is is he is he just more relaxed in life? I mean, his daughters in living there, and he's just a happier guy. I don't know, but he is talking about this team differently than he talked about last year's team at this exact time. He seems more comfortable and confident. A lot of it might be because of the existence of Pete Golding. He's not worried about defense right now. He knows he's got great on that side of the ball. He he knows it now. Last year, there was questions about if he had the the right guy running his defense. Maybe it's quarterback, where where he's not concerned about quarterback like he was last year. Because in practice, Luke and Jackson would do nice things and also do a lot of not nice things. And and maybe they're... they're there's a lot of things that could be contributing to it, but you are not crazy when you watch and listen to Lane Kiffin and come away thinking, man, he he likes what he has. And that is atypical of what Lane Kiffin presents himself going into a season, at least in the first three.
0: Absolutely. And thanks again for making the Locked On Almost podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I hope we can do this again, buddy.
1: Absolutely. Anytime.